I felt different. I felt like my mental health was better. Physically, I felt a lot better. I It all came down to the fact that we just changed our preparation in such a way. We focused a lot more on going onto the platform, being healthy. It really does affect your performance at the end of the day. Welcome to the Bar Band Podcast, where we talk to the smartest athletes, coaches, and minds from around the world of strength. I'm your host, David Thomas Tao, and this podcast is presented by barband.com. Today, we have a really cool story from an athlete who has competed at the highest level across three international sports. Mona Pretorius de Lacy is a South African weightlifter, six-time karate world champion, and CrossFit Games athlete. She's also a Commonwealth medalist in weightlifting, which is basically as high as you can go in the sport beyond meddling at the Olympic Games. Mona has eight great athletic background and actually one of the most diverse competition histories of anyone we've ever talked to on the Barbend podcast. We talk about training across multiple sports at the highest level, how she transitioned from one to the other, building resiliency and becoming basically a bulletproof athlete with all these different demands on the body and what competition can do over the course of decades. If you've ever wondered about training age, adapting to different stimulus as you get older, things like that. Mona's a fantastic resource. Really lucky to have her on the podcast today. Hope you all enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mona. And the thing that I have to start with, okay, you have a resume that is impressive and about a mile long. You are an accomplished international weightlifter. You are a CrossFit Games athlete. You're a karate world champion. There. I've talked to a few strength athletes on this podcast who excel in two sports. Three at the international level is is unique in my experience. So I would love to hear a little bit about how the heck that happened and your athletic career so far in your own words. Thank you. Um, yeah, I definitely um, have to say thanks to my dad with regards to that because he kind of pushed me into sport from like a very young age. I think I've always just enjoyed doing sport, but with him, you know, he pushed me to be a bit more serious about it. Um, and I started with karate. And uh, to be honest, it was something like I was watching Bruce Lee movies and my friend and I said, you know, and we were literally like seven or eight years old. And we said, you know, let's start karate. We went to our parents. We told them, let's start karate. Um, they started taking us. Um and to be honest, I wasn't very good in the beginning either. Um, so I started off, um, you know, just loving the sport. And then I did my first grading, which in karate is like you go from like a white belt to a yellow belt. And at the end, I got to my third and black belt. But my journey leading up to that was a little bit more challenging. It wasn't just as easy as, oh, I was a talented athlete. I, you know, was just good in the sport. So what ended up happening was my first grading ever, I ended up failing. And out of the whole group of uh, kids that were doing it at that time, I think I was the only kid that failed, which was quite a big shock. You know, I went home, went home in tears. I was very upset about it. Um, my dad, who was a very good sportsman himself, um, very driven. Um, people always say, like, I grew up like a military child. <laughs> So he was, he said to me, you know, I'm going to take you under my wing. Like, this is definitely not happening again on, 
my watch. Um, you know, I'm an athletic person. I can't have a child that's, you know, not good in sport. So started the hard journey with um, training. So I was still training with my karate coach at the time. Um, and then my dad was training me on the side as well. So he was doing a lot of like strength work with me and speed work and agility work. Um, and then what ended up happening was he then said to me, um, you know, I think to get you more explosive, like from the research I've done is we need to get you into Olympic weightlifting. Mm. Now, I was only 13 at the time when I started Olympic weightlifting. And it made a massive difference. I mean, um, my dad got me a coach, which took me again a very long time to get because in South Africa and way back then. Um, so to give it not that far back, let's just say you say way back when, like it's fifty years ago. It's now, so it's quite a while ago. <laughs> so to give away my age, but um, yeah. So my dad said, you know, we have to get you a coach. Back then, sport, especially string sports with females. Um, there was a lot of stigma around it, yeah. um, you know, and especially around kids. So no kids did weightlifting. Females didn't really do weightlifting. Um, it was one of those frowned upon sports where only men would do it. And it was really tough for us to even find a coach. After months of looking, my dad ended up finding a coach for me, which, again, was another struggle on its own. Because finding this coach, at first he said, you know, I used to coach my son, um, I'm not really interested to coach any girls, you know, that's it. But he was the only coach in my town that was basically qualified to coach me in Olympic weightlifting. And my dad wanted someone who is really good with, you know, the sport has the knowledge behind it and that's going to train me properly at the end of the day. And then my coach's name, Bebop, Bebop said, you know, fine, I'll, I'll train Mona. But, you know, before I start training her, I need to see what her school marks look like because I don't want to train a dumb athlete. <laughs> and yeah, I had to show him on a quarterly basis um, how my school marks are doing, especially in maths. He believed that, you know, being a good athlete, you have to be good in maths. So, which is totally different to, I think, how other coaches do it nowadays. But again, that helped me because education is also a very big part of, you know, my life when I went and studied sports psychology afterwards. But yeah, then I got into weightlifting, you know, my coach said to me, you know, you're actually quite good in weightlifting. Why don't we try and get you into a competition? And at that time, I was also training um, for my karate still. And just to give you like a little bit of like an example, like how it's kind of changed with me um, or how the weightlifting changed my karate. I became a six-time karate world champion with all the explosive work that I was doing, all the training, you know, it wasn't just the training itself, but it was just, you know, it was hard work. It was not just dedication. I had to sacrifice a lot because when other kids went out to play, I, I had to train. So I ended up training, you know, like two or three times a day. Um, it, it was tough, but it's something that I look at now that I'm so grateful for because it basically shaped my whole future for me. Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but just just for context here, you went from being the only kid who failed in your 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 first, I guess, called test in karate, to being a six time world champion. Yes. <laughs> when how how much time? I just have to I have to needle at that for a little bit. How much time between those things? Like when? How old were you when you failed that first uh, uh, karate uh, uh, test, so to speak? And then you know, how many years after did you win your first world championship? So I was 
12 when I won my first world championships. And I ended up competing in, um, which is in karate, you call kumite, which is your fighting style, and then uh, your kata. And then we also did like a team event as well, which was a team fighting event, which counted towards uh, points. And then you as the team then went on to the finals. So I ended up winning, you know, both my fighting to give me um, two gold medals at that world championships. And I, yeah, I was, so I was eight when I started karate, 12 when I won my first world championships. And how, what ages were you when you won your, your five additional world championships? Yeah, so those all happened between the ages then of 12 and 16. And then when I was 16, I also competed in the open division, which is basically up until the age of 21. So I was fighting against girls that were 21 and then girls that were, I did the open division as well, which were, was basically anyone even over the age of 21. Yeah. So basically from the age of between 12 and 16, that's when I won uh, my karate world titles. And that's, yeah. And I also became a third Dan black belt during that time as well. So a really good career for me in karate. But the one thing to me that really stood out about weightlifting, and this is kind of why I had to make the big switch at the end from weightlifting, uh, from karate to weightlifting, is I wanted to do a sport that was funded, first and mm. foremost, because karate wasn't funded back in the day, and it made it really difficult to pay your way for international competitions. You have to do fundraisers, um, and it just became uh, really expensive. But... I also wanted to do a sport that was under the Olympic umbrella. So something that, you know, was a bit more recognized. And because I was doing weightlifting at the time as well, and my coach should suggested that, you know, I should compete in a competition. I ended up competing when I was 13 years old in my first competition and got chosen to represent the senior team at an international competition because of my results from that competition. When you were 13, you were, you were, you were competing as a senior when you were 13. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, I mean, I at first didn't really enjoy weightlifting just because I just got so much backlash from people outside of the sport. Uh, you know, again, because it wasn't a sport that people recognized as a female sport. People would say to me, you know, um, by the time you're 18, you are going to have your back broken. You're going to look like a man, like all these kind of things. Um, and people just weren't educated about strength sports back in the day, which I'm really happy that, you know, that has all changed over the years as well. That's certainly something that we've we've talked about on the podcast before. And, and Barb and we started about seven years ago, even in the past seven years, seeing changing perceptions of that, which is a testament to the work of athletes like yourself. It's a testament to the work of trainers, people who are who are persevering. Right. And are making it more mainstream. Okay. So your weightlifting career, let's talk about what you're best known for in your weightlifting career. And I think you know what I'm I'm talking about. Take us through, take us through that accolade, if you don't mind. Yeah. So um what I'm best known for is a Commonwealth medalist, the only the second woman ever in South African history to win a medal at the Commonwealth Games. And for a lot of people that don't know now, the Commonwealth Games is the second biggest event to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. So it's really big broadcast all over the Commonwealth countries. Um, And it's one of those events that most athletes, um, you know, other than the Olympics, they have this as a a massive dream, especially if you come from a Commonwealth country. So 
it wasn't again like i was saying earlier you know it wasn't just an easy way to get myself onto that podium it took many many years it actually took me four commonwealth games to get myself onto the podium which really took a lot of grit resilience you know bouncing back from bad you know competitions um because i ended up my very first commonwealth games when i was um i was 16 or 17 at the age at that or at that stage and i ended up coming fourth and i did really well people were saying you know mona's like the next big thing she's definitely going to be on the on the podium at the next commonwealth games and then four years later because the commonwealth is every four years I ended up uh, bombing. And for those that don't know in weightlifting, that is if you miss all of your lifts. So, you know, four years of hard work, literally blood, sweat and tears went into my training for the for my second Commonwealth Games. And I ended up bombing, which was really big disappointment for me because I had these big hopes and these big goals of standing onto the podium. Um, you know, I... I feel like I walked onto that stage and I just put way too much pressure on myself and I ended up not enjoying it as much. But I thought to myself, you know, I didn't do well. I'm not a person who quits. I'm going to go back to the drawing board. We're going to start over again, start my training. I'm going to take, you know, a little bit of time just to like basically just switch my brain into a mode of, okay, this happened now. It's the past. Let's move forward. And uh, fast forward four years later, Qualified again for the Commonwealth Games. Very similar thing. Walked on stage. This time I got injured. Again, I still walked out there, you know, wanted to do what I want, what, what I needed in order to win a medal. And same thing, I repeat, I ended up bombing. So this is now already 12 years in the making of like me competing on the international stage and not being a medalist. You know, that one was a Biggest shock for me just because I went back and I thought mm. maybe I should quit the sport. Maybe I'm just good enough. Maybe I'm just never going to be a Commonwealth medalist. Um, and there's a lot of doubts that go through an athlete's mind when something like that happens um, because there's sponsors on the line. You know, you've got thousands of people watching you back home, um, you know, that support you. And everyone shows you support afterwards. They all, you know, they know. Uh, what's in you they know what you can do etc but I feel like no one is as hard on a person as you are yourself and you know I took a little bit and you know I thought to myself am I going to continue am I not going to continue and also during that four years I also ended up moving to America where my coach was based so I really took advantage of that four years to really change things up you know be in an environment that is professional um, seeing my coach a lot more often, um, being able to train with him because living in South Africa and having your coach that's American, it's not as easy as, you know, like a two-hour flight. Um, it's, yeah, um, it's like a couple of days of traveling and it's quite expensive and that obviously had to be on my own expense. But I need to make the change. And also at that same time, I owned uh, CrossFit ECX and uh, the Dragons Weightlifting in South Africa. So a lot of changes had to happen and I needed to, um, you know, make a decision. Am I going to carry on running my business in South Africa, which I was running um, for about four years at that time. And it was really successful, doing really well. It was the first CrossFit box that actually opened up in my city. So I had to make the choice of, am I going to sacrifice this and stay in my country or if I'm going to move to America and just, you know, 
be with my coach, be able to focus a lot more, be in that environment. And I ended up making that switch, moving to America um, and then opening up a weightlifting gym in America as well, in a the gym. And being able to train with my coach, you know, made a big difference. At the end of the day, I started reassessing uh, what I want. I started looking at my why. My coach and I sat down, you know, we said, okay, because I'm getting a bit older now, we have to change the way you train. It's not anymore about, you know, training twice a day, beating up your body. Um, because I was working long hours as well, we needed to look at recovery. Um, and I kept having these little niggles come up um, and I started to feel sick all the time. So we, we decided that, you know, with my body taking such a beating, I need to step back a bit. So we ended up, instead of training twice a day, how we've done my whole life, we ended up um, making that step back, only training once a day, which at first I was a little bit skeptical of because I thought if I train less, my performance is going to drop. Right. That's what we think is, we think we think that more equals more performance and more progress. Exactly. And not always quality over quantity. And um, yeah, and because we decided, you know, quality is more important we have to make this change. And immediately I started to recover a lot more. My training started feeling better. Um, I went into the Commonwealth Games and I felt different. I felt like my mental health was better. Physically, I felt a lot better. I, you know, my health was better. Um, and it all came down to the fact that we just changed our preparation in such a way we focused a lot more on going onto the platform being healthy because we already knew I was strong but if you go onto the platform and you've got these little niggles and you're just super fatigued it really does affect your performance at the end of the day and yeah got at the Commonwealth Games you know yeah it's 16 years later I had the best day of my life as an athlete um got six out of six so got all of my lifts broke uh, multiple south african records um and then became the second woman ever in history to win a medal and stand on that podium well i'm curious what can you give us the weight class you're competing at at the time and do you remember your highest lift from the day i'm sure you do but <laughs> yeah now i competed in the 63s um back then so now it's obviously changed to the 64s and i did a um it was a 91 and your yeah, 91 snatch and a 115 clean and jerk for a 206 total. I'm really glad your your original coach when you were a kid asked about your math skills because I'm pretty sure I bet you're great at converting kilos to pounds and vice versa now. Yeah, I, I feel like well, you start to just know the colors equal <laughs> this weight um, without even thinking about it, but it definitely did help. Yeah, with him being so strict with regarding my maths and now I'm also quick with my athletes as well. And that's important because being a coach and an athlete comes to you and, you know, you have to strategically plan um, how to maybe change a lift for competition in order to, like, to to get your athlete on the podium or to go for a new personal base. I feel like your math skills have to be on point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's there's also bar math. I find myself in my daily life, if I'm doing math for like accounting or for something uh, interested in life, I'll generally start adding 45 to it, like I'm adding 45 pounds because uh, I'm accounting for the barbell. So if I'm like leaving a tip or if I'm like like doing a bill or itemizing something, I'm like, why am I adding 45 to this? Oh, wait, not everything is bar math in life. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it just becomes your default. Well, I think I, I really appreciate you taking us through that because I think another thing to keep in mind with the, with the Commonwealth Games is that it's every four years. 
it's not every year. It is just like the Olympics. It's on a quad cycle. Um, people train their entire careers, and they might get one or two shots yeah. at it. Right? Four shots is something where you have to you have to start young, and you have to stay at the top of your game for well over. I mean, over, you know. Close to two decades. I am curious. I was going to ask, so you obviously owned a CrossFit gym. You're a CrossFit Games athlete. We've seen a number of athletes make the switch from Olympic weightlifting to CrossFit. I'm curious where in your career that came about, what year you went to the Games, and how that factored into or coincided with your Olympic lifting career. Yeah, so we actually had a previous CrossFit Games athlete um, that was training at my weightlifting gym at the time, and this was in South Africa. And I was seeing him do all these cool things like in, in the training, like warming up, like doing handstand push-ups, and he would bring a kettlebell to the gym and do some kettlebell stuff. And, you know, I, I just, out of curiosity, I went up to him and I asked him, you know, what is he doing? And he was saying to me, you know, um, I'm a CrossFit Games athlete and telling me a bit about CrossFit. And I just that bug just kind of bit me and I thought because I'm such a competitive person and I love sports I said to him you know I want to come and see his gym sometime and he ended up inviting me to his gym to come into a session and it was brutal because being an Olympic weightlifter going into CrossFit is a whole nother ball game um yeah you're, you're like you're like for me cardio is doing triples of something exactly exactly <laughs> So it was really tough, but I kind of fell in love with the challenge. And, you know, he said to me, there's the CrossFit Open coming up, you know, let's enter you and just kind of see how you do. And I then went to his gym in the mornings. I would train there um, and do CrossFit. And then I would go after that and go and do my weightlifting session with the national coach. And my national coach wasn't too happy about that at the time. Um, but he was saying, you know, if it doesn't affect performance now and we're doing it way, you know, like, way back from like where competitions are then like i'll be okay with it but if it starts interfering then we have to unfortunately cut it out so um it was okay with it and i ended up doing well in the open um not winning my first open but qualifying then uh for the regionals and when i qualified for the regionals i had no idea what it was um Again, it wasn't really big in South Africa back in the day. Um, what what year what year was this roughly? This was twenty eleven. Okay. Yes, and it was also the first year that it was ESPN broadcast as well. So people were starting to make a big deal of CrossFit back then. And my coach said to me, "You know, um, you know, if we want you to win the regionals," and I was like, "Whoa, wait, win the regionals?" <laughs> I, I thought to myself, you know, I just kind of started CrossFit. Um, maybe it's a bit far-fetched thinking about winning. But he said to me, you know, I think you have the potential. You know, let's kind of go and see, you know, how far we can go with this. And he said to me, you know, and this was the week of regionals. He said, but we have to be able to do a ring muscle-up. And I've never done a ring muscle-up. I never knew even what a ring muscle-up was. I had to look it up on YouTube. You know, he pulled me aside. I said to uh, and he said, you know, we have to train and get you to do a muscle-up in order to, you know, if, if you can't do a muscle-up, you can't progress to the CrossFit Games. Because back then there was a minimum requirement as well in the actual workouts that you need to do in order to qualify. And I said to him, you know, I'm going to do whatever I have to do. If I have to practice doing a ring muscle-up, you know, up until the up until the regionals, every single day, the whole day, and I'm, I'm going to do it. And 
you know, it took me to this aside. We started doing progressions. You know, it was tough because it was a whole another skill to learn. You know, and it was frustrating because in weightlifting, I was used to already being at a certain level and now kind of starting from the bottom up with CrossFit. And, but I knew with my mindset, I'm not a quitter. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to, you know, train my battle. And got my first muscle up. Um, it was a couple of days before the regionals. Got to the regionals. Um, ended up getting, you know, to the final event. And I ended up being the only girl in South Africa at the time that could do ring muscle ups. So that then ended up pushing me past everyone. Um, I won regionals and then I qualified for the CrossFit Games. So I have to ask, because we have to have you on again, because we've basically spent most of an episode talking about your your background, which is impressive. And there are, there's this li- big list of questions I had that I'm not going to get to ask today, but that just means we'll have to have you on again, because you've had three different careers. So maybe th- we'll do a three-episode arc. But I have to ask, if you could now be at the... T- uh, if you could just magically wave a wand and be at the elite level in either of the three sports that you've competed at in your life, which would it be? Oh, that that's a tough one. But to be honest, I think my my true love when it comes to those three sports is Olympic weightlifting. Okay. Yeah, I've been doing it for 22 years and I feel like it's just one of those sports that is just so close to my heart. And even when I ended up stopping with my CrossFit training, you know, my weightlifting became my number one again. And I've just always had this love, love, hate relationship with weightlifting. <laughs> that's that's a good, that's a very diplomatic answer because anyone who's ever competed in weightlifting, they can't get enough, like you get hooked, but it's also the thing that keeps you up at night. It is not a relaxing sport. No, <laughs> definitely not. Especially if you are going for big events and I'm sure you know now with, you know, all the Olympic qualifiers, you know, it just, it's so many competitions that you need to do well in. So you have to be on all the time. You have to perform all the time. Um, and if you've got big goals, it it becomes such a big part of your life. Well, Mona, where is the best place? We're going to have to have you on again. There's so much so much more I wanted to ask. Where is the best place for people to follow along with you these days? So I'm on Instagram. Um, I'm strong by Mona. That's probably the the best place to follow me. Um, and then also we've got our uh, Big Eat Big, which my husband and I own. Um, so we've got that Instagram as well. And then also um, you know, our website, liftbigeatbig.com. And then I've got um, helpingpsychology.com too. And that's where I do a lot of my sports psychology consults and work with athletes on mindset. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing a little bit of your journey today. I'm excited to chat hopefully again in the future with some of these more detailed questions. Uh, The difficult questions. That's always episode two. When people think they're comfortable, that's when I really do the bait and switch. Mona, I really appreciate your time. Fascinating to learn about your career and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, And thanks so much. Thanks, David.